Renegade Movement Performance Podcast. I'm Lex. And I'm Kyle. And today we have John Weir and Lance Beasley, and we're going to let them introduce introduce themselves. So go ahead, guys. Hey, thanks for having (laughs) us on. Uh, This is Lance, and uh, I'm from Washington State. I got my master's degree in exercise science from Eastern Washington University, and I've been training and coaching for a number of years now, and now I'm currently serving a contract in the U.S. military. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, I'm John over here. I'm currently an orthopedic physical therapist in Seattle, Washington, also known as the U.S. epicenter of COVID-19. <laughs> um, and uh, or the I guess the patient zero part of it. Uh, and I got my doctorate in physical therapy at Eastern Washington University and an uh, undergrad degree there as well. John, have you been practicing throughout this in Seattle? We have been. We've done telehealth quite a bit, um, but there's still quite a bit of demand that has come from people wanting face-to-face, which is really interesting. Um Legally, I guess right now with our Department of Health in the state, they have deemed us appropriate to do that with obviously protective measures given limiting the amount of people in the clinic, face mask, basically everything that they expect. That's not bad. Telehealth has been going pretty well for everybody from what we hear, but um, that's good. Did you guys meet at college or... Yeah, we did. We actually, we both worked at the same fitness center on campus and then. Went from there. Oh, did I cut out there? You did yeah, cut out. Cut out for a second. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we did meet in college. Uh, we both worked at the same fitness center and then uh, became roommates. Uh, I want to say that was 2012. Um, 2013, I think 2014. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And then, uh, Lance graduated with his master's. I was still an undergrad and then I moved to Spokane, Washington for PT school and he was still working there and, um, we've just kind of stayed in touch and, uh, we had been talking kind of like as a way to like stay in touch. I think we had like hour long talks about endurance sports all the times. Like, Hey, check out this research article or you see this thing. And, uh, one of these, one of those days I was like, man, we should probably record this at some point. And so that's kind of how at least we started our podcast. I was going to say, talk a little bit about that. Um, your own podcast and what that, what that looks like, what you talk about. Yeah. The, the big thing that originally it started as a bit of a hobbyist thing for us just to again like stay in touch have something to to work towards and and have fun with a little bit and then as it got rolling and and it actually was something that more than three people were listening to Mm -hmm. um we decided to kind of hammer down a little bit and so we do we cover essentially any topics related to endurance athletics so we've talked about um resistance training for runners. We've talked about nutrition. We even kind of dove into a little bit about like the Iron Cowboy documentary about the guy that did 50 Ironman tries and 50 Mm -hmm. states in 50 days. So we did something like that. And then, yeah, it's just, it's just taken off from there. And we usually do about one episode a week at this point. Yeah. That's like where we're at too, because it's a lot more work than you originally thought it was going to be like editing and putting everything out there, but it's fun. Oh, yeah. We like to be able to talk to people and just, you know, um, have those conversations. And it's, it's nice because when you get that, that, uh, validation from other people and they're like, Hey, I listened to your episode this week. You're like, Oh, that's awesome. So we, <laughs> cool. yeah, when we started it, I was like, nobody's going to listen to this. We're going to put out like 20 episodes and we'll have like one listen per It'll be like my grandmother or something. Right. Like, and then there's like 30 or 40 lessons or something. I'm like, wow, this is actually cool. Like people yeah. actually, you know, give her at, um, right. yeah, that is, so that like, is awesome. And when we started Lance, out, we were like, Hey, are we going to be okay with this? If literally it's just us talking and no one ever hears it. And we're like, yeah. We do this anyways, so. Right, you might as well record it. True. (laughs) Send it, he says. I love it. Um, 
So Lance, are you working as a civilian contractor or are you actually enlisted in the military or? No, I'm, I'm full on enlisted. Yep. Sign my nice. life away. <laughs> For how long? Uh, so I have a year and a half left on a five year. Um, okay. I might have to extend coming up here, but I'm not, not totally sure yet. So could, could end up doing like seven to eight. And then is that active duty guard reserve? Uh, you cut out a little bit there, but uh, it's it's active duty. Is that what you're asking? Yes. Yep. Yep. Active wow. duty. So, what does that look like? What What do you do? What's your daily look like there? Oh as far man, as training daily changes. <laughs> daily changes constantly because it's not, you know, it's not like a typical nine to five. Um, we'll have we'll have training that we have to do that'll that'll go for you know multiple days. Um, during this whole COVID thing. I'm not doing any kind of training. So, uh, mm -hmm. we kind of, we do kind of basic, uh, what you'd imagine, like, uh, I guess office work from the military side. So like making sure that operations are done and logistics, uh, are taken care of for all the training that is going on. Um, and then I'm in sort of a transition phase as well, because, um, I'm between units when this, when all this happened. So it's oh. a very, it's a very, uh, what's the word unconventional, uh, situation going on. Um, so day to day, it completely depends. Um, we're in, we're in kind of like a minimum activity at this point. Yeah. So, um, I mean, things, things look like they're going to start ramping up here soon. For uh, sure. So I might be going down to Georgia and, uh, doing some training down there. And I mean, hopefully, hopefully we get out of this sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Um, as far as uh, tactical athletes go, you know, there's a lot, there's a actually a huge federal PT section now. Um, yeah. So that's yeah, great really people. Awesome. I work with some of them. Yeah. So um, it's like the Thor and yeah. <laughs> Do you, so what's uh, the tactical athlete type training look like and, you know, for what you have done so far? So there's, there's, I guess if you look at the uh, demands that we have to be prepared for now, um, things have changed a lot over the years. So as far as the weights that we have to carry and uh, the types of operations we're doing, it's a lot more um, heavyweight, high resistance type activities. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a lot of guys like just in general, uh, they focus a lot on getting stronger and putting on mass. So a lot of guys get a lot bigger. Um, the endurance side, it's more, I think it's a question of more, can you still operate and think clearly after you've had to run, you know, half a mile uh, or maybe you've rucked for two days. So the demand on endurance is it's half physical and half psychological. Yeah. So I would say one of the big gaps that exists right now is, something that I hope to um, continue to contribute to the military as much as I can is an emphasis on endurance and having effective endurance training as opposed to everything is, Hey, we're going to do a one mile run, three mile <laughs> run, five mile run, you know, balls to the wall all out. Um, there's just not a lot of long-term benefit to doing that. Yeah. So it's, you're constantly battling, the sort of traditions and uh, there's a lot of non-expert opinions that are in the mix that sort of you end up with like a, a very a lot of times ineffective uh, training mm -hmm. so typically I'd say uh, there's a lot of emphasis on like sprints and doing you know 10 to 15 minute high, high, I, I guess you could say high velocity, but, um, high intensity runs and then the weightlifting side too. So it's, th th there's some issues with it. I will say for, from the Thor side, um, they, they approach it with a lot more scientific backing and basis. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot more, uh, I guess, higher quality training and higher quality, even the physical therapy, um, there's a huge emphasis on prevention. 
So which is I'm so sure good. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so good. And that's a that's a great topic to even talk about because there's so many sort of common injuries that you see with with that type of athlete. And that's definitely the case with like fire departments, uh, military, police. Yeah, they they have kind of their own demands. So, well, and it's almost like the the fitness training or testing that is done is not even at times functional. You know, well, where you have to carry. Go ahead. The paradigm is you know anybody's going to train, especially a large organization, especially a government organization, right, is going to train to the test, and so training often reflects whatever the, the test standard is, right? And so um, if you look at the APFT, um, although that's changing right now, right? <laughs> but yeah, is, yeah. the traditional two-minute push-up, sit-up, and two-mile run, I mean, people are going to train for push-up, sit-ups, and a two-mile run, you know what I'm saying? So um, definitely there's some good things changing there. But like you were saying, Lance, there's, there's certainly <laughs> a culture to overcome. Uh, that's maybe not based on the evidence. Yeah. And, and I think even from an endurance side, like a lot of the athletes that we train, um, a lot of times they have an overemphasis on training at race pace, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they don't yeah. have enough, um, I guess, well-rounded training that, that leads to like we were talking about long-term improvement. Um, and then um, the other thing with that is, um, especially with the, the weights that we carry, it brings up another question of, are you able to actually adapt in certain ways to carrying heavy loads or is there, is there too much that you could do, uh, with like, let's say a rucksack on, mm-hmm. um, do those tissues actually adapt and, and strengthen in every case, or do you overall over time, just break down the knees, break down the back, hips. Um, and a lot of, I, I guess, sort of anecdotal evidence would suggest that um, you only have so many ruck marches in you. Yeah. So that at some point you start running into issues with just the weights. Right. Well, and like it, that graded exposure, I'm sure you both are, you know, deal with this all the time as far as running goes, the graded exposure mm-hmm. that you, you have to, for lack of better terms, introduce people to, I don't, I feel like, and I could be completely wrong. So correct me, but I feel like that's not really the case when you go into that tactical athlete world. It's like, we immediately start out with balls to the wall and you're not really getting that graded exposure. So you might start with, you've never done a ruck march in your life. And then you start doing ruck marches, whereas you may not be physically prepared for that. Yeah. I can say from the the tactical side, the uh, the ramp up is extremely steep yeah. and, uh, a lot of guys, you know, they don't, they don't really have enough experience with rucking or carrying heavy weights. And in the early phases of training, they end up falling out, um, for yeah. stress fractures. Um, like I, myself, you know, I tore my labrum. Oh my it's hard gosh. to say exactly when that happened. It, I don't know if it was from, uh, anything specific that we were doing in training, but, uh, it could have been happened from over time. Uh, or from uh, like jumping, like parachuting. Yeah. Um, so it's it's tough to say, but there's a lot of overuse injuries. And then when you get into the special operations side, there's a certain amount of abuse that you can't really train for. Mm-hmm. You know, like even the even the highest quality athletes, um, they still have a breaking point. So kind of regardless of the training, like you, of course you want to go in as ready as you can be. But the amount of training and how quickly it comes and just the overall intensity of it and uh, lack of recovery, lack of nutrition, like you, there's only so much you can train for. So it's kind of the same thing with a lot of the ultra endurance athletes and adventure athletes Yeah. where, you know, they're in, they're in incredibly good shape, but they still come out with injuries and all kinds of issues. Now, John, that's the population you deal with, right? Is uh, more of the endurance, ultra marathoners, triathlon athletes. Yeah, I, I, I exclusively right now have clients just in the Ironman world. Um, I've one of the clients has run a couple ultras. He's actually somebody I'm working with right now is planning on doing by himself a double Ironman distance in June. He just told me yesterday, so 
Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the primary world I live in. The crazies, if you will. Wait a minute. In June, and he just told you yesterday. <laughs> well, he. So this is guy that's been training for twenty years. He's got tons of training volume built up. He he has done oh, okay. his graded exposures. He he's ready to go. <laughs> it's just one of those challenges where it's. I mean, he just never thought of actually just trying it, but. I mean, social distancing has made him a little bit bored and he'll, he'll be ready to go. That's awesome. Yeah. Now we were touching on prevention a little bit. Uh, I feel like that's something that's you may or may not like, it sounds like that's the world that you're living in. You're preventing these runners from having um, any type of injury associated with their running distance, et cetera. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I, I mean, you, you try your best. I mean, Ultimately, when you get in those higher distances, especially the the 50 milers and 100 miler type distances becomes increasingly more difficult. And it's almost like you're just trying to limit the severity of the eventual injury Mm -hmm. at a certain point. But the big thing that I go back to is you have to you have to have sound resistance training. There's a degree of tissue adaptation, especially in the bones, tendons and muscles that you just can't elicit from your actual sport. So I think as long as you're somebody that's consistent and deliberate with that, you, you set yourself up with for success and the literature is back that up considerably. I mean, look at a lot of the research for tendinopathies. It's, it's going back to heavy, slow resistance training. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I prep, prep my clients and athletes for that considerably. And then the second phase of it too is is smart training. So I would much rather have somebody on a timeline of a couple years if they're trying to train for a marathon, not because I don't think they can't do it, but it's from the standpoint that sure you can train four months and run a marathon, but it's going to suck and you're probably not going to be very fast. Or let's spend a couple years together building up smart training load building up these these adaptations that don't decay quite as quickly like your your consistency with distance and mm-hmm. over time you you gain that resiliency just because of the exposure to the sport and it goes back to your point flex with the graded exposure is is you just have this is an intense sport especially the longer distances you go it's not something that people really give credence to is that it it takes a while to get to those points Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, this is a, a time thing right now. A lot of people are picking up running because that's what they feel is uh, their only option. Well, and it might be their only option. And it might be their only option. Yeah. And I, and sometimes yeah. it's, it's tough because uh, I don't want to say everyone can't run. That's not the truth, but it's almost like you're, some people are not ready to run. And, uh, you just see a a huge increase in running right now. And it's, it's tough because you want to be like, Hey, let's also pair it with some other stuff to help you run better or more optimally. Um, and that's what we try to focus on too, is like, you know, it's not about not doing what you love. It's more or less about how can we better prepare you for what you love? Um, yeah, I mean, going back to like, uh, Lance was talking about ruck march is kind of a little bit too, right? And if you think about that, if let's say you have like a, I don't know, like a 40 pound ruck on, right? If let's say like your one rep max for a squat is 400 pounds, that's 10% of your one rep max for that event, right? Right. So like yeah. you're probably going to be doing a little better than if your one rep max for a squat is like 200 pounds, right? Because now we're talking uh, that that 40 pounds is a substantially higher percentage of your one rep max. And so then you push that over an endurance event like a ruck march or rucking through, you know, mountainous terrain, elevation, whatever you're doing. And it's a lot more of a substantive load on your nervous system and on the physical structures, tendons, whatever else. Right. So like, it's just interesting to me to see people running that maybe have not been to fitness ever in their lives, but now have all this time and are like, well, maybe I should do something with my life. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. And start running a couple of miles and they're putting on maybe, you know, 10, 12, 15 miles in a week. And they've not even touched a weight or ran before in their life. So they don't have a graded exposure to the, to the training stimulus they're doing now, but they also don't have a training history to kind of substantiate having the prerequisite strength to even do that type of a sport. So well, and sometimes <laughs> you'll get those runners, I, I, a couple of the runners that I've treated would come in and they would have X, Y, and Z going on, but 
you'd ask them to do single leg stance and they can't maintain it. And then you're like, yeah. well, running is a single leg activity. So we need to work on that. Or you start getting into like the, the sexy nervous system stuff. And you're like looking at their VOR and how they can maintain balance with that and stuff. And then they just can't at all. And you're like, well, running is a continuous VOR. <laughs> like, so, yeah. so There's a lot that goes into running. And I, I think you're right when you said that it's not really accounted for all the time. And it's almost like credit's not always given to that. And there's a lot behind all yeah. of that endurance athlete which is why you should contact somebody like type 2 performance <laughs> yes <laughs> um exactly. dovetail that one nicely there no so yeah, uh <laughs> talk about i'm pretty sure looking at your site i'm pretty sure what you mean by type 2 performance um are you, do you guys hunt at all uh i do not know fortunately no um so there's a one of the guys who has a show and is more well-known in the scene, Steve Rinella, uh, talks about it. He talks about type two versus type one fun. Um, yep. <laughs> he's like, type note. one fun is like a roller coaster, right? And you're like, yippee, this is great while you're doing it. And then it might not, like, you're never going to look back five years later and be like, you remember that time you rode that roller coaster? Unless something, you know, crazy happened. Um, but type two fun's like, you spent a week searching for a deer, hiking up elevation, like it just sucked. The weather was in adversity and the whole time it was a suck fest. And then like two years later, you talk to your buddy and you're like, dude, you remember that time we ran around and it was like the worst thing ever. And you just sit there laughing about it over beer. That's type two fun. <laughs> like, Is that where you guys were going with that? Absolutely. And That's awesome. it's, it's ironic though, because you guys are so kind of a quick aside. You guys are some of the first people that got that like right away. Um, there's been people confusing it for like that are not as familiar with endurance athletics. They go, Oh, type two diabetes or type two muscle fibers. And with yep. that product is unfortunately, I think while the name I, I like a lot and some people have gotten it, Lance likes it. We're, we're actually in the process of kind of rebranding um, both a, a, from a company perspective and then from a podcast, just, just because the confusion was, was, kind of getting insurmountable at a certain point. So yeah, yeah. yeah a little bit more clarity, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but honestly it, the heart and soul of how we got into endurance sports and, and how we've kind of come down this path that we've come to love is we essentially shared one of those experiences. We, ah. we spent about nine months training for a 24 hour mountain bike race having, I mean, you had ran a marathon, I think at one point, before, yeah, but, but I had taken, absolutely no endurance yeah. experience. My idea of endurance <laughs> wow. was like running a 400 or an 800 meter sprint. Yeah. Wait a minute. What made you guys sign up for that uh, 24 hour mountain bike race? Lance asked me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really all it <laughs> was. Awesome. I mean, I was like, hey, do you want to do this 24 hour race? And you're like, well, yeah, why not? <laughs> Just send it, guy. <laughs> Where was that at? <laughs> that was in Spokane. It was in Spokane. Yeah, wow. Washington. Wow. Yeah. And it was That's the, awesome. I think it was the first hot day of the spring. It was Memorial Day <laughs> yeah. weekend and it was like in the high seventies and oh, I mean, it was the eighties, man. Oh, was it? Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was the we came 80s. out of that like injured and just, yeah, we, that, that race destroyed us, but it also, oh like spurred, it also sparked this like extreme, uh, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to keep using the word love. I mean, it, 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 like a year helped for us, that same thing. Yeah, it, yes. it helped us get into like, hey, this this is actually a really cool experience to to basically do something that sucks to this degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so rewarding when we were done, and we learned so much from it that we're like, hey, let's keep let's keep on this path. Let's keep doing this type of stuff. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, and, and speaking minute, did you guys of like even... the grading ramp up. We definitely, uh-huh. that, that should have been like a three-year goal, maybe, maybe four-year goal. So <laughs> doing that in nine months, I mean, I lost Bro. like probably 20 pounds. And oh my God. Yeah. Like we, wow. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Did you guys even own bikes before? Like you were just like, we're going to sign up for this. And like, oh shit, we got to go buy bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were just oh, really into like, mountain biking and we both did a lot of downhill stuff and kind of the recreational like gravity mountain biking but never cross country i i I've, yeah 
That's I hadn't wild. even ridden it with clips before. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time we did. Can I tell this, John? Yeah, you can. There were a couple times where John would stop and wouldn't quite unclip and just end up going down on his side. Just a real graceful, like, just a, like, you, you, bro- you braced your fall really well, but it was like a very just... <laughs> To be fair, the first time you you taught me how to do it was on a very muddy trail uphill the entire time. Just saying. True. True. May or may not have been on purpose. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) See, second type of fun. Here we are. We're actually sharing your fun and we didn't even suffer through it. So it's like. That is awesome. I would complete the race. What was that? Did you guys complete the race? We did. Oh, yeah. So yeah. See, there you go. That's perfect. We uh, it, there were th- so the structure of the race was they have like uh ten person teams, they have six person teams, four person teams, two person teams, and then solo riders. And we didn't hear until race day from people that had done it in the past that the two person team is actually probably the hardest way to do the race, given that you have to to be competitive, you have to function at basically functional threshold power the entire race because you're splitting off between partners essentially um so we didn't know that going in and i think that contributed (laughs) to the to the suck fest a little bit but there were 13 13 teams of two essentially and we actually ended up getting fifth wow that's awesome for training for um, how long was it? Nine, nine, nine months. months. Nine months. Nine months. Yeah, yeah. and that was. Dang. I mean, also factor in that we didn't we didn't have really much experience training anybody in that type of sport. Like I, I focused more on strength training and uh, the weight room type stuff. Uh, we were both like high intensity athletes, football that type of thing, and mm-hmm. so we kind of like we we used ourselves a little bit as guinea pigs <laughs> to try to figure out okay how are we actually going to improve <laughs> in endurance. That's the best way to do it. And, yeah, yeah and we were, we were very ripe athletes because we had really no experience with it. So as soon as we started doing any kind of distance, our bodies were like, boom, okay, now we need to, we need to lay down more capillaries. We need more mitochondria. It all yeah. kind of happened really fast. So it's a great experience. Wow. That's awesome. That's impressive. I So please don't laugh at me when I say this. Um, so I, I hate – but feel free to. I'll say feel free to, but <laughs> I I despise running. It's not because I shouldn't be able to do it. It's just because I get bored. And so I recently, and I just, I don't know why it is. I, I've tried to like it. I really have. And I, I have a little bit of that uh, strength differential. So I, my right hip always bothers me. I'm working on that, but whatever. Aside from that, I've been starting biking on a Peloton because it's right now my option for cardio at home and Kyle's we're living with Kyle's sister and she has one. So I had an experience the other day and I was on the bike and it was like my fifth ride. And the next day I couldn't breathe in. I was like, my inspiratory muscles are shot, completely shot. And I was like, this is such a new experience. I had dogs in her intercostals. (laughs) Literally, it was awful. And I could, I went to breathe in. I was like, I can't breathe. This is pathetic. And so like, I, like we both do CrossFit. Um, and you know, I thought I was aerobically in shape and I definitely was not. Um, but as far as breathing goes, I feel like that is, that gave me the realization, like I don't work on breathing enough, especially in that type of intensity. And it just got me thinking, I was like, this is a sport. And I was not prepared for this. <laughs> well, it's so specific too, right? Like you can do like it's definitely specific. You can do like one of the um, hero wads or something. It might call for like I don't know, like something crazy, like a thousand step ups, like with added external load, right? You're holding dumbbells or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you go for a hike and you're like dying. It's like, how does this translate? What do you mean? I just did like 3 million lunges and a thousand step ups. How am I dying on this hike? But it's like, it's or like walking so up the stairs sometimes. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. We had a, a professor on like the fourth level at our PT school. And every single time I would walk up the stairs, I'd be out of breath. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and like, for me, I struggled to run too, but like, I mean, I'll, I'll embrace the suck and do it. Right. But oh. yeah, but for rucking, no problem. Like, 
I'll say that was weird. Completely for you. different gear. So I did a army ROTC and um, I actually got diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So good old uncle Sam said, see you around medical discharge yeah. on that. Um, but before that I got to go to Fort Benning for air assault school. And, oh, uh, awesome. Yes. In July. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was not a stress around my heart at all, but yeah. <laughs> nah, so but the rucking, honestly, that's dude, cool. it was, was like better. Did you guys do much, much rucking at that one? Um, so we had a time six and 12 mile as okay. mandatory events. And then as far that. as like rucking just for the, the sake of training rucking, uh, kind of just to and from field events, which actually were a few miles apart, but it wasn't like a fast pace or a long distance really. So. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, so can I ask you guys something about CrossFit? Yeah, yeah go ahead. How much time do you spend doing any kind of like low intensity work? That's a great question. Not enough. <laughs> I was saying not enough and not enough um, anti-rotation exercises either. So there's not a lot oh, okay. of unilateral stuff, which so back up, I guess. It depends on what gym you're at because um, based on programming standards, different coaches and different owners will have different programming built in. So I've seen ranges from um, everybody having, let's just say, a program that's very uh, anti-rotation, unilateral strength, low, low intensity. And then I've also seen the opposite where you go in, you do a 20 minute wad and you leave. Um, so that's one of our big things is we're, we don't like that, that, uh, that programming. We want to make sure that we have that extra in there. Well, here's my opinion on the subject, right? So CrossFit is a phenomenal avenue for people to get a great training stimulus to help work on strength and metabolic conditioning a little bit. So it's phenomenal at doing that in a short amount of time or a small time commitment per day for the person. But there is a lot of, or there are a lot of limitations to include different, you know, like force vector theory stuff as far as are you doing unilateral training or not? Are you doing training in different planes of motion, yada, yada, it's, you know, mostly sagittal plane sport, whatever. Um, but also to your point, I think uh, moreover was, there's a warm up, sure, uh, and it might help you stretch out and get you know more mobile and flexible for uh, the movements you're going to do during that class. But there's not like a, at most gyms at least, uh, there's not like a lower intensity, more endurance type scenario. It's usually more of high in, a high intensity interval. Well, right? people go so, there for that too. So that's like the it's like a it's it's a uh, now i will say i have seen some places like uh what's Shante's gym called um oh my gosh south bay south, south bay. bay out in california um that box has like i think they call it a booster program or something and so they hit accessories in different planes of motion and they also have different um workout programming separate of the hit type stuff that's more endurance based or more strength based depending on what people select to do but i would say that's not the typical that's kind of an exception it's like if you picture a five o'clock class and it's typically an hour class and you warm up and you have the wad and you have the cool down. Most people show up for the five o'clock class at 4.58. They go to the five o'clock class until 5.58, six o'clock, and then they leave. And so yeah. obviously you can imagine that that would, it just open up opens up a huge window for for injury if you're not dedicating time outside of that that period of time to work out. So I think that's something that needs to be addressed more, if you will. But why, what, sure. what have you heard or what have you experienced? So I, I'm not, a, I'm not very well versed in CrossFit, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but I sort of get the sense that a lot of the limitations in performance in that regard are more focused on uh, the periphery and mm -hmm. having enough, um, metabolic activity taking place and, uh, getting rid of those byproducts that you're building up. And I wonder if a lot of people could benefit from, you know, maybe one session or two sessions a week, focusing on more of the, more of the VO two max side and yes, stroke volume, absolutely. cardiac output. Um, and kind of as far as bang for your buck goes, spending a little more time focusing on that, that type of thing. I don't know if you have any, any experience with that. You mentioned running, I mean, running would be a great way to do that, but 
Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think you're, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, and I agree. A lot of it is focused on the periphery and not um, your central engine there, right? So there are exceptions to that as well. Um, again, like a lot of games level athletes uh, or people who are seeking to be at that level will, I think, dedicate in their training regiment time to sit on a rower or sit on the um, assault air bike, whatever the hell that's called, the bike from hell, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and to do that type of training. Um, although I will say it's not, especially in the CrossFit realm, but a lot of people don't in general, it's not really well measured or titrated. Um, mm. And so the dosage might not be 100% correct. And that kind of brings me into... Uh, I saw that you guys use the polar system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your kind of experience with that? How does that work out for you? Kind of talk about that system and how you use it. Uh, for the, the, really the best thing is, is ease of, or ease of use for the athlete. And so, uh, the big thing is, is having the athletes have a watch and an online platform where we can actually upload workouts and basically, how do I want to put that? All I have to do is go on their training profile on their website, get all their data, type in the workouts for the week. They go to click their watch, essentially, and the workout's already uploaded. So oh. that that makes it easy for everybody involved and basically takes spreadsheets completely out of it. That's nice then. Yeah, it well, really it, and you can see metrics on there too, right? I mean, you can look Training at power metrics. And, yeah, yep. it's it's as good as you you can get right now in the industry. I've looked at Training Peaks before, and I go back and forth. I mean, it is nice to have that, but I haven't seen anybody but Polar do it better from a sports science perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Garmin has good products, but I think they they cater towards the the more recreational or people that are looking for a little bit more fluff out of their watches. So like contactless payments or Spotify on the watch and those kind of things. So obviously like their research and development goes a little bit towards that versus I've seen polar. I mean, most of their R and D is sports science based and it's, and it's, I think using the product that, that values the same thing you do as a company also speaks wonders too. Absolutely. And you know, I, can I be a topic jumper? Can I go back to what you guys were talking about Yeah. as far as VO2 max? Because I do want to get this in here. Um, how would you both, and you both can answer separately or together, whatever, whatever works. If you had to tell someone who is in the CrossFit world or in the performance world in general, that may not have that, that VO2 max training, what would you tell them to do to improve that? Or to get that in? Well, I would start with a couple things. So I would try and get them I would get them the education of energy systems. So you have your aerobic engine, you have your ability to sit at a heart rate that allows you to buffer acid, and then you have purely anaerobic from a standpoint of weightlifting and heavy resistance training. And mm-hmm. so breaking the training down into the components of which energy system are you using, you can show that person... Well, you spend probably 95% of your training at either above lactate threshold or functional threshold type heart rate, purely into more an anaerobic world. So can I, and again, I don't have a ton of experience with CrossFit, but can I assume that most of like the, the salt bike or sprint interval or, or workouts like that are probably less than 60 seconds or 30 seconds in duration per rep? Yes. Typically, except for um, the coach that we're at, the owner, he he has like a sports uh, psychology background. So he incorporates uh, like a 10-minute bike test um, because he looks at those energy systems. But yes, most of it is below a minute. Perfect. Yeah, so we're okay. kind of blessed in that sense. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. We're, where we're at. Um, so would you say, so keep going on that? Sorry. Yeah. So I would then kind of, once you get to that point, you go, see, this is most of your training is done in, in, in this world. And at a certain point you, in, it takes very careful programming once you reach some somewhat of closer to your potential. 
So I liken it to elite athletes, like their, their programming has to be so specific to elicit like a 1% improvement just to be able to qualify for the Olympics. You can even put it down to somebody who's done CrossFit for three or four years. I mean, they've got that initial adaptation stimulus. They've got that ability to, to do the things that are required of the sport. I think Mm -hmm. from that standpoint, then you show them, well, let's look at the aerobic metabolism side of things. There's important aspects to that to be able to to perform a little bit better at the higher intensities. If you can utilize fat as fuel or and utilize oxygen in the process of the actual fuel generation longer, it allows you to save some of that anaerobic energy in the long run. And so it may not last a long time, but developing those qualities and like as Lance talked about the central side of things, so stroke volume, it improves everything at that aspect. And I think the thing lost and going back to the VO2 max interval side of things is it has to be done at a slow enough pace for long enough to essentially allow your aerobic metabolism to be the primary driver, which is anywhere beyond that kind of three to five minutes is when you start to get out of the anaerobic metabolism as the primary generator. And so that's where I would, I would liken it there. And then even as a comparison side of things too, it's the same battle trying to get a runner to go into the gym. So you've just flip flop it and show them the benefits from the other side. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good comparison. Yeah, that was very well put, John. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is, uh, for one, going back to more of the education side. A lot of people don't realize quite how much of their activity is centered on aerobic, the aerobic energy system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would give the 800 meter sprint as an example. Even at that short distance, that typically is like under three minutes, you've already crossed over into the majority of your energy contribution coming from the aerobic side. So the mistake I see a lot of times is that because people are really dialed in on the anaerobic because that's that's the part that they feel that that's the part they experience with that acid building up. Yeah, uh, they put too much emphasis on training the anaerobic system. And again, you know, I I, I also don't want to talk out of turn because I don't know uh, everything that that goes on at CrossFit, but I get the sense that a lot of times you're doing intervals and circuits that go well beyond you know five ten minutes. And if that's the case and your recovery is limited, I'd feel pretty confident saying the vast majority of that energy is coming from the aerobic side and the anaerobic is complementing it. So, yes. yeah, and I think there's different designs for the workouts of the day or wads that are targeted towards one system or the other, because some are designed definitely to be 35, 40 minutes plus and limited rest. And so then you're working into your aerobic, but, um, others are, are definitely sprints and might only take you five to eight minutes or less even. Um, so I think that's one thing that they've played on is, you know, taking advantage of the different types of wads. Um, and actually <laughs> thank you for saying that. Cause I never really actually put that into perspective or put that much thought into that. But, uh, after hearing you say that, that definitely makes sense. Why some, some of the wads are programmed more as a sprint. Yeah. And some are more like a long, prolonged suck fest. So, <laughs> but I feel yeah. like the prolonged suck fests aren't a lot. That's not a lot of them. That would say that's about 25% of the, the workouts. You always get a lot of rest um, in between different workouts. Like if it's five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. Yeah. So you might do three of those, okay. like two or three of those sprint wads in yeah. the same day, or you might do the one longer one. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the ratio is a little bit skewed towards the shorter sprint type. Yeah, I will okay. I will say that so I'm just gonna throw this out there. When we were training last summer at the box that we were at, and I think you will have really good input on this, is why I'm bringing it in. Um we were basically in a squat, uh a squat developing your one rep max for your squat and improving that. Now it was a squat strength cycle. It was, yeah, yeah, it was just a, a strength cycle. So the coach had programmed and determined how many reps you could do. And you either fit into the, you, you would do two reps for six sets, or you would do five reps for three sets, or you would do eight reps for two sets or something oh, like that. Cause he was looking at neuromuscular efficiency. You, yeah. He was looking at neuromuscular efficiency. So yeah. 
I mean, I think that's one big thing that he does well. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that because it really did ta- tailor to that one person. And when you had those, the strength cycles, that was great. But I think that we are missing that just in general. I think people like the, in general, we're missing that aerobic component um, only because that's where we do spend a lot of our time in those, in those workouts. I, yeah, I think one of the that. issues, because uh, I kind of experienced this with cycling too. I taught indoor cycling for a while and um, oh, awesome. had a little bit more uh, interaction in the, the road cycling community. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of variety as far as the types of intervals that they choose and the durations and, um, you know, percent peak power, all that stuff. And the truth is not every interval is created equal in the way that it generates adaptation. Right. So one reason we're really big into the, essentially the one-to-one work to rest ratio. Um, and we've kind of, we've harped on it a little bit in our podcast, maybe a little bit too much is because <laughs> that has been demonstrated again and again to produce those aerobic adaptations. And so, uh, there's been several review studies done that compare the effects of different, different sort of ratios or different, uh, characteristics of intervals. And I get the appeal with, uh, sort of mixing things up and the variety and you feel, you feel like you're improving in sort of everything at once. Uh Um, but I mean the, from a scientific standpoint, uh, the research is really honing in on there's only certain types of intervals that will actually produce those adaptations that you want, despite it not being as interesting or not being as fun. You know, so we've come full circle to embrace the suck. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. Yeah. Literally yeah. embrace and, the suck. And, the stoic- and uh, yeah, just the consistent, you know, maybe it's not the most exciting thing, but at the end of the day, why, why are we doing this? If it's right. to if it's to have fun, then great. Identify that and have fun with your workouts. And if it's to perform well in six months, then hey, that's the goal. And we gotta be deliberate about how we get there. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so before, because I don't we don't want to take up too much of your time, although I feel like we could talk to you guys yeah, all day long. Have you this is awesome. Another, for like another one. This is great. Yeah, no, yeah. more than happy yeah. to. This is yeah, super awesome. fun. Maybe we could have um, you guys on ours at some point too. Yeah. 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 That'd be super cool. So if you, just because I'm thinking of our audience and some of our audience is in the CrossFit realm, some of our audience are just general performance athletes, whether it's, um, they do a lot of strength training, some do just running. If you had, if you both had to give your advice for complementary programs for strengthening, you know, what would you say is, uh, the best most bang for your buck. And obviously we're, we're talking about all of this. Like you have to be committed to the less, the more boring things. Like you tell a runner, they have to go in and do single leg exercises. And they're like, this is boring. This sucks. But like, what would you guys say um, for like an endurance athlete? Yeah. For an endurance athlete, especially like, what would you say that you would, what are your, your go-tos, your must incorporate exercises as far as strengthening goes? So I'll go first. Uh, if we're talking about an endurance athlete, obviously their body mass is going to be a huge factor. So focusing more on the, uh, tissue strengthening, the neurological innervation of the muscle fibers and increasing their strength from not a size direction, but from the neuromuscular direction. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, as far as the actual exercises, I'd say start from a very basic level of, uh, five major movement patterns. So you have a squat, a hinge, a a push, a pull. You can mix up horizontal, vertical, uh, you know, for example, like bench press or overhead press, and then some kind of core stabilization or, or like you Mm -hmm. identify, like you said, at Mm anti-rotation, um, start from there. And then if you can handle that level of training load, focusing on again, strength. So limit the number of sets, uh, limit the repetitions and you can handle that, then maybe start adding additional things in. But if, if the vast majority of your training, if the 90% of your training is, is more for the endurance side, then I would just start with those five major patterns and then go from there. Perfect. I'll take a little bit of a, a more general approach here, but I, I would like to encourage people to 
sit down and maybe think about, okay, if I'm say a CrossFit athlete and I want to get to the games levels, right? I want to perform. I want to have these capacities to be able to, to do really well. I would even almost take the route from that performance standpoint and break down what are the qualities and the capacities that I need from muscles to be able to perform at those events and then take exercises specific to those to be able to develop either the, the hypertrophy, the acid buffering tolerance, the strength of said muscles. So, I mean, it could be as this doesn't sound sexy or anything, but it could be as simple as I need better quadriceps strength. Okay. Well, I know one thing that can isolate quadriceps better than anything else is a knee extension. And so while it may not be specific to my sport per se, so in the CrossFit world, it's not, it's not going through a lot of dynamic movement per se, but I liken it to, well, that tissue and that muscle is, is gaining capacity to be able to help me in the long run to be able to do those things. So you could even take this route and follow, okay, well, my accessory work doesn't have to be so specific then. Um, and so I just want people to think, why am I doing an exercise? What's the adaptation that I get from the exercise? And what do I need to work on to be able to then perform better at the sport? And that I think is the biggest takeaway from me, from a general perspective for any athlete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you guys both like teed it right up. This is so fun. Like, can we hang out? (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Yes. I love it. Once the COVID settles down here. I know. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's, it's so good though, because, you know, when you get to talk to people that are like speaking your language, you're like, yes, I would say the same thing. It's amazing. Um, I know, so like cool. holding back over here, trying not to like cheer you on. <laughs> <laughs> likewise. So it, yeah, likewise. <laughs> um, all right. So I guess, you know, if we, we might bring you guys back on for another episode, this has been so fun. We or just might join you on yours on say, or join in yours, whatever works. Yeah. Um, Love to have you. So for those listening, we just want to make sure we give them your contact information. Do you guys want to just uh, shout how they can reach you if they want to chat more? Yeah. The, the best way right now is to find us on any podcasting platforms at the type two network um, or at Instagram at type two performance. I think those are going to be the two best platforms at this point to stay up to date as we go through a bit of a rebranding process. Um, we're, we're in the very early stages of that. So a lot of things unofficial at this point, but, um, yeah, those two platforms are going to be the best at this point. And then within the show notes of each of our podcast episodes, we each list our emails. Wonderful. Now I I have to ask really quick, have you guys come up with any new names or is that all just kind of being brainstormed right now? That's the secret sauce. Or is that secret? <laughs> Lance, what do you think? I think so we, that's the hardest part. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe we make everyone wait because yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. like John said, we're still in the early stages, and absolutely, you can only change your name so many times before <laughs> <laughs> we hear you. We lost. We hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, guys. We really enjoyed having you. And yeah, thanks thank everybody you. else for listening. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we look forward to talking to you guys again. Likewise, Likewise. we'll talk soon. <laughs>